0: All right, this is, this is the, the last one. I wanted to take a moment before we get started. Um, just to warn everyone, um, there is some language towards the end of this episode. Um, I do not consider it to necessarily be foul language, although it is um, racially, um, racially charged language. It is, it, but it is an important part. I chose not to edit it um, because um, in it, we have someone sharing about their actual firsthand experience of, of the process of the inter- racial integration of schools here in Hopkinsville. Um, so i just want to just warn you in advance that comes towards the end um, if you have little ears then you don't want them to to hear these things um, i might be best to to not have this episode shared with them but it is a very real raw and useful story that we hear um, also for those of you guys who may have been out and and taken in the open mic q a session uh, you might realize that the the order of, of things are a little bit different. I didn't didn't leave out anything that was discussed, any questions that were asked, any any conversations that were had um, during our recording time. But I did I did change the order a little bit because I just wanted to make sure um, that we really highlighted the the intention behind our conversations, which was talking about race, talking about how it interacts with us here in Hopkinsville, um, and and how we wrestle with these things even now as human beings, as Christians, um, as as moms and dads and sisters and brothers, um, just as people. Uh, so. Again, I, I, I don't apologize for the language. I just want you to know about the language um, because it is, it is there. All right, here we go. Let's get into this very last episode. I've been passing through some hard times with my friends, Richard and Brandon, and our guest, Jack Glacier. We are recording. We are, what are you going to say? We're live. Oh, look at that. We're well, live. Well, I
1: mean, we have people here. Yeah, here no, we are.
0: You had to qualify. Live studio <laughs> audience. So, so we are live. We are still, again, in the museum here in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Thank you, everybody, who is participating. Um, and I'm going to have us actually start because there are some people who are here live who don't know who we all are. So I'll start with me, work our way down the line visually for those who are watching. Uh, so my name is Kamar. Um, I am originally from Southern California. I have lived in Hopkinsville for a couple years now about two and a half years. Um, two and a half years? Yeah, roughly two and a half years. Um, we, my wife and I moved to Kentucky a little over eight years ago. Um, the true story is that God told us to move to Kentucky, so we did. When he first told us, we said, why? It's Kentucky. But um, we're here, and we're actually quite happy to be here. Um, I've been pastoring in Hopkinsville in one way, shape, or form for a little over four years now in different churches in the community, and I'm now the pastor of students and community engagement at Edgewood Baptist Church here in town. All right, take it away, Brandon.
1: All right, so my name is Brandon Boone, and I am a second time Hopkinsville resident. Uh, Moved here for the first time in 2012. Grew up in, uh, I was born in Oregon, but I grew up in Idaho. Went to school up in Louisville, and then ended up down here in 2012 with my wife uh, and our two kids at the time, uh, now three kids. Um, My wife's gonna kill me, soon to be four kids. This is not airing for a couple weeks. (laughs) And uh, Yeah, so we moved here in 2012, uh, was the associate pastor at Edgewood from 2012 to 2016, moved to Utah uh, and pastored out there at Red Hills, a Southern Baptist church in Enoch, Utah, and then got called back here as the lead pastor at Edgewood. So I have the privilege, and I do mean privilege, Kamar, I'm not just saying that, because <laughs> uh, of watching. working alongside Kamar uh,
0: <laughs> there at Edgewood. It's because I have a cane and I'll hit you. that is true.
2: So my name is Richard Dixon. Uh, I have, uh, I'm from Savannah, Tennessee, which is rural West Tennessee. Uh, My wife and I, we met in Middle Tennessee where we both uh, graduated from Middle Tennessee State University. We have five kids and we have only lived in Hopkinsville for about the same amount of time Mm -hmm. as Kamara, about two and a half years. It'll be three years in December. And we are previously from uh, Clarksville. We lived in Clarksville from 2010 to uh, actually 20, I guess. 2012, is that, yeah, no, 2022, Yeah 2020, yeah, Yeah. yeah. 2020 something, yeah, 2020, something (laughs) like that, and so we actually um, are at Restoration House, and I'm the lead pastor at Restoration House here in Hopkinsville, Tennessee, which is right on top of the hill, Hopkinsville,
0: Kentucky, what'd I say, Tennessee, yeah, there you go,
2: (laughs) whatever, go Vols,
0: whatever, (laughs) all right, and and Jack,
3: okay, just uh, a very few words, uh, I was born in Indianapolis. Uh, My education is focused uh, on anthropology at the University of California, Berkeley, where I went there in the 60s. And you knew all about Berkeley in the 60s. It was a crucible that formed a lot of my thinking. And uh, anthropologists, as you undoubtedly know, uh, go to different parts of the world to try to understand ways of living not their own. And uh, from Berkeley, I went to East Africa, where I lived in Kenya uh, for a year and a half in a fairly remote place, uh, utterly different from anything I'd ever seen. I'd never been out of the country. I was really too young to be doing what I was doing. Uh, It would be different if I were going now. And uh, having done field work there, uh, a few years later, after I had written a few things about the Embarid people, Uh, I did something very different. I went back to my hometown in Indianapolis where I got very interested in the stories of uh, immigrants from Eastern Europe during the great wave from the 1880s until the 1920s. Uh, My parents were part of that. And then uh, after I had written a few things about that, I was looking around for something else to do. And uh, I thought of a very important uh, woman, a caregiver, I mentioned in the uh, preface of the book. And I knew about Hopkinsville quite a bit from growing up with her. And uh, I came down for a visit. I didn't know anyone. I just drove through in 2002. And uh, from there, I think uh, maybe on that first visit, Jennifer Brown of the Kentucky Mm -hmm. New Era uh, took me around to meet F.W. Whitney. Uh, F, no, sort of effie Whitney, I believe, uh, who was a, a, a real estate uh, person and an accountant and uh, was a kind of informal leader of the black community or part of it in Hopkinsville. And from there, uh, I met a lot of other people. I went to Freeman Chapel, where I became an honorary life member hmm. because that was the family church of the woman who raised me. And uh, I was accorded the warmest of welcomes. And uh, from there, I just gradually met more and more people, including Jim Killabrew mm-hmm. and uh, the Nance family, at least two of whom, I hope, are here yeah. tonight. Three of whom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're here. <laughs> 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 Dear friends, I'm their cousin. Like <laughs> so
4: people do cousins. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> just to
3: make a long story, very short. I got a job at Oberlin College uh, early on and uh, stayed here until retirement 10 years ago. And uh, my partner Heidi and I are living happily ever after. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome, Hi, Heidi. wonderful.
2: <laughs> Heidi! <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, so um, before we get deeper into the, the Q&A section, because this is gonna be largely a Q&A episode, um, uh, Richard, you, you were saying a little bit last episode as well about how this happened. Um, and I know that, as I recall actually, you and I were talking, um, it was during the height of all the conflict over the critical race theory.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were going to do a thing. And we were going to do, we were like, we we're, like, we're right. going to do
0: a biblical race theory. There you go. And, and that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but, but in the talking about it, we, we, the whole discussion was like, what if we just actually got together and just talked with pastors of different denominations and different ethnicities and maybe just had relationships? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then you made it happen. You said, okay, cool. I called some people up. We're going to start meeting at 6 a.m. And it's like, oh, that's so early. Um, but that was also important for me because I was still by vocational at the time. That's why we And so it. it worked out good for me because it was the only time I could make. Um, but you, you started this whole thing going of just inviting people organically who were pastors in the community, um, different denominations, different ethnicities. And we've been doing that for what, like?
2: Since February of last year.
0: Yeah. So a year and a half we've been at, at this. Um, and Brandon, you came in about, what, six no, a little more than six months like yeah, almost yeah, a year ago.
1: I, No, I invited myself in after you guys had been going for a couple months, and
0: <laughs> yeah, Richard wasn't going to invite me, so I kind of made my own way. I didn't in. know. You
2: weren't vetted yet. Yeah.
0: That's okay. I, apparently, I invite people unvetted because he has the audacity <laughs> to interrupt my days off. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's
0: <laughs> true, but that, no, it's it's, a, it's yeah. an organic group of people. That's so, how Todd started coming. So you guys understand, like it really is. This is this is the three of us. But when we originally did this, um, it was I think seven of us at the time. We read through the book as a, as a group. Yeah, um, and so we read through this book. We read through the so. Been coming through some hard times. Thank you again, Jack. We read through the book, and this was again Richard's idea. Richard's like, hey, I saw this book. Um, I think it might be good for us to read. We had done theological textbooks before where it was like it was talking about race relations and ethnicity, but it was theologically bent. And he said, well, let's do this book. And so the, the seven of us, eight of us, we, we read through the book and we talked about it and we fought over it and we wrestled with it. And there was a lot of interesting conversations, like I said before. There were mornings where people were yelling black in Panera <laughs> because we were trying to break them of the habit of whispering black. Like, like that was happening. That was a real thing. Um, but as we were going through this and doing this, we would talk to other people in the community and they're like, I want to know what a pastor has to say about that. I would love to hear those conversations. And we're like... Well, I guess maybe we need to do it again and record it and let other people listen. Um, And that's kind of how this that's why we're doing this now is that we already worked through this before with the whole group. um, And now we're working through it again, the the three of us, because not everybody wanted to be involved in this production, as it were. Let's be Um, honest. We didn't invite them. That's not entirely true. They were invited. They were told. Okay, they were told. Yes. Yeah. Come on.
1: I'm pretty sure you excluded them on purpose.
0: I, I, hey guys, um, <laughs> I, I know I say hateful things about you for this I love those guys, but um, I don't know about you. No, no, I, I, I am joking, and, and that's
1: <laughs> that's one of the things that we wanted to have come out in this is a little bit of the humor uh, that we use as pastors. Mm-hmm. You know, we I don't know what you think of when you hear pastor, but I grew up in a home that was, um, you know, my parents were first generation believers, and so all of my extended family, none of them were Christians, and uh, and so when I heard the word pastor, I. I really thought about a suit and a tie and somebody that didn't smile very much. And that's not what I want to be known about pastors. So yeah. we do. We make fun of each other
0: and we laugh. And yes, we do. Some of our jokes probably cross a couple lines, <laughs> not <Definitely>. just one. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I did make fun of somebody, somebody's mom this morning. But that's, it's, but, you know. That's, but he started it. It's real, right? He
2: started it. And we make fun of your clothes all the time. You we, sure we, do. We have man, a lot of good
0: fun. Like last Friday. This man wears my grandmother's curtains. You know what? You guys just don't have style. That's all I can say. So, all the jokes done, okay, we've done the introduction bits. Um, we do wanna have you guys ask questions if you have questions. I, I, wanna, I wanna start out though with one question I wanna just, um, I know we closed the last episode with, with Jack sharing a last um, bit, um, but there was something that we did, I think a couple episodes ago, I wanna say it was chapter four or five, um, where you actually, in the opening lines, you, you talk about how paternalism is essentially is on par with overt hostility. Um, I, I have my take on that one, and I completely agree with you, but, um, <laughs> but I, wondered, I wonder if you could expound from, from your stance, your point of view of exactly why is paternalism such a damaging thing to people.
2: And could you explain that for anybody that has a problem with knowing what paternalism is? Yeah,
0: I guess should I define paternalism first or should I let the expert so you, do it? Ooh. Yeah, Jack, you're the expert. Doctor? I guess Doctor? Def- def- Define paternalism and explain why it's so bad? That's you, Jack. Dr. J? Can you you hear me?
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. (laughs) I was
0: saying, saying, Jack, could could you define paternalism and explain why it's so bad?
4: Yeah.
3: Well, paternalism implies uh, hierarchy, inequality. You don't know as much as I do. Follow my way, not your own. I may not, in reality, objectively, be wiser, but I think I am, and uh, you are... uh, subservient to me or acting that way i have the right answer Mm. so i mean even people are easily dismissed by a paternalistic response well okay that's that's all right with you that's fine if you do it that way but eventually you'll find out there's a better way
0: That's good. That answers it for me. Yeah. I just want to, because I am, I do, you know, I'm where I'm at. And I'm thankful, Brandon, that you grew a little on that one. Yeah,
1: way. I was just going to say, so uh, Jack, uh, you you probably don't know this, but I disagreed with your statement there, and then okay. by the end of the episode, these guys had convinced me that you were correct. And so, yeah, I'm, I apologize for being wrong about you being wrong. <laughs>
2: I we accept
3: because <laughs> we still see that. Wow, he's nicer
2: than us. Except he he your apology <laughs> that was nice because we still see that in Hopkinsville. today. Yeah, we talked about it then. But I see it. You know, we went to a housing seminar not too long ago. I see it in the housing industry here. Yeah. There's a paternalism of those who have and those who have not.
0: Yeah, I, I saw it when. I, so I don't. I don't work in the public schools currently anymore. I mean, not as a full-time teacher, anyways. Um, but I was in the school system for a couple years, and I would see that with some of the teachers. I would see that with some administration. I would even see that amongst students where there was this, um, you could tell that if a kid dressed a certain way, not necessarily skin color, but if they came from a certain neighborhood or dressed a certain way or spoke a certain way, they were just assumed to be dumb, less intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that I can say that, that I had to overcome just moving to the south um, from California because there is this bias, I actually told some of my students that when I would work with them for years, I say I would tell them like, "Hey, you got to realize that when you, if you ever leave Kentucky and you have a strong Kentucky accent, people will assume that you're dumb mm-hmm. because you have a Kentucky accent." They would get so upset, like, "How dare you!" I'm like, "Listen, I'm just telling you, to somebody who's been outside of here. Heads up, warning. Be prepared." But I had to deal with that myself internally of recognizing that just because they sound that way doesn't mean that they are less intelligent or less knowledgeable or, or less informed. I need to get beyond my own bias and, and say, "Okay." Who are they really? Um, and so, but you see that paternalism even in the education system, um, yeah. where especially we have a lot, a large number of teachers here in Hopkinsville who don't live in Hopkinsville, um, and students would say that too. They don't know us. They don't get us, Mr. Richey. They don't understand because they are not from here. They don't live here, mm-hmm. and they would say, "You're not from here, but you live here." And they're like, "Yeah, my house is right there on Main Street. You can come knock on my door on Halloween." Mm-hmm. Any other day, I might call the cops on you. Um, but, but like, like, and, and, and the kids know me. They would say, oh, "I saw you in your front yard today." Like, yeah, I, I'm I'm here. And so I didn't have that that otherliness to me um, that oftentimes is paternalistic in our community right here.
2: Yeah. Questions.
0: So yes, questions from from everybody. I wanna I wanna hear. Does anybody have a question? Or again, feel free to c- correct us on something if we need to be corrected on something.
2: Or feedback about the show if you yeah. listen to it.
0: I know it's daunting, right? There's a microphone, and it might bite you. It won't bite you.
5: Five zero. There we go. Yeah, go right ahead. Yay. So I'd like to address this to Jack. I, I'm hearing, I'm a pastor uh, at a church outside of, right outside of town here, and I hear these three guys and maybe the rest of the people make comments about that Jesus and the church are the answer. And yet I have seen, uh, I grew up in Hopkinsville, I stayed here until I was 21. I left here, and I was away for uh, 45 years. When I came back six years ago, I thought I'd stepped in the 50s and 60s. And nothing was different. Mm -hmm. I mean, nothing. New roads, uh, but I saw attitudes, and I saw people, and I thought I was in a different planet. I mean, I didn't know what I'd step back back into. And I was the oddball, because (laughs) I am more liberal than Most people here, I am more uh, active in the community and I want to see things change. And I actually came back to Hopkinsville first to be closer to my my children and my grandchildren who live four hours both from here. And it just happened that that's how I ended up. But but the other reason is my values and my integrity as a person uh, came from growing up here. And I grew up in a very conservative Baptist church here and I'm not Baptist anymore. And in all of that, um, I saw that my knowledge of the scripture, my knowledge of, I had to break down the knowledge that I had of God's word and figure out the tradition from the scripture. And I wonder, and and I've had to figure out a lot of things as I've grown outside of Hopkinsville and come back. Uh, And I wonder as an anthropologist, uh, my background initially was in sociology. Um, And so I wonder as an anthropologist, Do you see the church and Jesus being the uh, answer, uh, the only answer for Hopkinsville to come around? I think there's some other things, some other factors uh, that can be talked about, and I'm wondering your opinion about that.
0: Yes. Good question.
3: Yes. Uh, Well, I I, uh, don't really want to address theological issues, and I think the church can be a force for great good. I understand the uh, black church, frankly, a bit more than I do uh, white churches, but I think you can be a fine and decent and good person and not be a believer.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So the, the, the church is one answer for some people, mm-hmm. but not necessarily for everyone, and uh, I, I don't think uh, a firm belief system is essential for right living and mm-hmm. doing doing the right thing.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, the church it had a very different that has a very different meaning, I think, for uh, for black people. Uh, it's the uh, it's inextricably bound to the history of slavery. It's slavery that is the crucible for the formation of of the black church. And a, a point that I really would like to make is uh, slave owners welcomed white preachers to hold services among among their slaves. They welcomed it, they invited it, because they knew that the message essentially was going to be uh, the path to heaven for you is quiescence, is following what your master and mistress say. Mm-hmm. And what they didn't reckon on uh, in inviting uh, pastors and missionaries to speak to their slaves, what they didn't uh, recognize is that what goes in isn't the same as what comes out. Mm -hmm. In other words, they were speaking, even though to illiterate field hands, to intelligent thinking individuals who could use those words And transform them in in ways that were not intended. And so, uh, for example, Jesus and Moses become means to uh, redemption. Moses uh, for uh, the the redemption of an entire people as Moses led the ancient uh, Jews out out of Egypt. And Jesus for individual redemption and uh, they saw the the, the the black church ultimately as a way of liberating themselves, of gaining their own their own integrity, their own sense of self. So that's essentially uh, my kind of verbose take on your question. You.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. I'm looking. So there's a book that I've been reading very slowly. Um, it's called African American Readings of Paul: Reception, Resistance, and Transformation. It's by uh, Lisa Bowens. Um, and in this book, she actually goes through and she just researches um, the history of, of the African American, the, the, the black religious interpretation of Paul, who was so often used to justify slavery. Um, because the premise is that there was this assumption that enslaved individuals did not want to hear Paul. And what she did in her research, she found is that actually what enslaved her persons did is that they realized that the white people were misreading Paul. And we're going to read him correctly. We're going to understand what he's really talking about. Um, that also speaks to, like I was sharing with some of you, my experience too, uh, Jack, I grew up in the black church, mm-hmm. and we joke sometimes talking mm-hmm. about, like, Baptists. I'm like, you got to understand, my Baptists not the same Baptist you're talking about. <laughs> I did not grow up this kind of Baptist. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I grew up a different kind of Baptist. Um, and so there is, this, there is this force that I grew mm-hmm. up that the church was in the community mm-hmm. that was bringing about social change. But I also do, I, I think that you said it right, Jack, is that if the solution is the church only... Um, I don't think that is the solution. this mm-hmm. I do say I'm a bad pastor often. I haven't said that yet today, have I? Have I said it today? You just well, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm a bad pastor sometimes. Um, because I don't think it's just the church is the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people who don't believe in Christ can still be part of the solution. Of I don't believe that they will have the entirety of the power that I say is available as one who, who mm-hmm. loves Christ Jesus. That's true. But they can still be part of the solution. If the solution requires only Christians to solve the problem, we're never going to solve it. Um, we've got to have a solution that says, you know what? Fine, you don't want to come to church with me. That's great. We're still going to treat people like people, yeah, because they are. Um, that's I, so. Yeah, I, I love that, Jack. Yeah. And does anybody else have any other questions, or did you guys want to chime in and say Jack is wrong or something? Or <laughs> I'm just trying to throw him under the bus. This is what we do. This is what we do. That's what go do. On, if you have a question, go
7: ahead. Yeah, let's go. There you go. I do have a question, but I wanted to uh, recall something first um, about something that happened in Hopkinsville right after Jack's book was published, and um, I'm still grateful for Jack's book to this day. Um, I was working at the newspaper then, and I wrote an editorial that essentially said what a shame it would be if Uh, Many people in Hopkinsville don't read his book, especially people who are in a position to make policy. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there was a female pastor at Grace Episcopal Church named Alice Nichols. And she uh, took the message of that editorial and she used her discretionary fund as a pastor and purchased a few dozen copies of Jack's book, and if any of you have purchased it, you know it's not uh, an inexpensive <laughs> book. <laughs> but Alice Nichols invested in that. And um, she went to the city council, fiscal court, and the school board and made sure that every one of those elected mm. representatives had a copy of the book. Mm. Awesome. And um, yeah. I feel like some of what yeah. you're doing today... Yeah. Um, is along the same line. But here's my question, um, considering the good works of a female pastor at that time, mm-hmm. uh, the group of pastors that get together once a week, are there any women involved in that group? No, they're not. No. Yeah. Do that's, not,
2: that's not because they weren't invited, or it's mm-hmm. an open group. It is? It is. Mm-hmm. It is
1: an open group, but I, I do think that that's one of those areas where it would probably be a challenge. For some of our members. Yeah. Like, it would, I think it would be a difficult... That would be a hard conversation. I, I will say... It would, I don't it, want to shy it, away from it this. It, it will
0: be a, pro, yeah. difficult for some yeah. of our members, but, you know, not for... Yeah. I mean, I know where you stand, and you're like, whatever. Yeah, it I would mean, be. I know where you but, stand, but too. But I where I stand. But, 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 but I would
2: but, also say that the group is not a social... Um, it's an organic group. It's like... So, for example, when we started the group, it started because, personally, I think God strategically just allowed me personally, to meet individual people who happen to be pastors in, in Hopkinsville. We got along with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a couple of things. that There's chemistry. I think that is one of the things that brings it together, is not just the fact that we're pastors, but we actually have chemistry. We're, we come from completely different backgrounds, completely different socioeconomic statuses. Denominationally, um, even theology, we don't agree on everything. Generationally. Generationally, we're different in um, and, and so many different ways we're different, but the one thing is that we have chemistry, and there's been pastors who have come, and there's been pastors who have gone that didn't stick. Yeah. And not everybody puts up with the jokes that we put up with. Um, and so, I, I mean, people are going to come, I think whoever sticks is who God wants to be there. Yeah.
7: Okay. It, do, it does seem um, to me that God would want some women there. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it just uh, It really stands out. Of course, um, we've learned so much about equality Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, from a racial perspective Mm -hmm. with Jack's book. But um, I also think about it in terms of gender. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for your work.
2: Yeah. And I'd say those conversations are had a lot.
0: (laughs) Yes. No. Um, And and so to give you guys a, a small window without names... Um, yeah, don't
2: drop names. I'm
0: not going to drop names. But like, so like you're talking about, like with the, the, the gender issue, there are times, there have been multiple times when we are dealing with racial issues in our group and the darker ones of us, I'm not naming any names, <laughs> have, have, have chosen not to press issues with the lighter ones of us, I'm still not saying names, um, because we could see that we're not getting anywhere. There's no traction. And we have to decide, are we going to maintain unity and fellowship so that we can continue to speak into each other's lives, or are we just going to fight and then split yeah. up? Um, no, and so an that's that's another issue, too, that would be it would have to yeah. Yeah. be talked through.
2: That's good. Because that's, there's... Th- go ahead. Seems to me to be, that seems to me to be
5: an issue. I mean, I just was talking to you before I when we came in, and I said, you know, I never got invited to that group, and I've met yeah. you before. Mm-hmm. I've been to your church before. Mm-hmm. And
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, in the Baptist Church, I was first four days, mm-hmm. and uh, and never got invited. And I asked, I asked the guy in the bill, I forgot your name. Brandon. Brandon. I asked
5: Brandon. I said, so if I came, what would happen? And yeah. he said, uh, I don't know that that would be. I think it would be contentious. Yes. And why mm-hmm. would somebody like me? Why would a
7: black person mm-hmm. like like want to come into a white church?
5: Why would anybody want to mm-hmm. be different yeah. in this group yeah. that we're talking yeah. about right now? And if we can't settle. Yeah. and white issues that we can't see yeah. on male and female issues then we're not
2: being who Christ called. Us right. And I and, and, and I don't think so you I think you have a decent point but I go back to the fact of it being organic. I didn't invite Brandon.
0: Yeah, he didn't actually.
2: I didn't I, but what it started <laughs> off was I went to lunch with Brandon. I got to know him. I got to hear his story, hear his heart, hear his background. And I didn't invite him. I didn't invite half the guys that are there now.
0: You said you didn't invite Todd. I but, accidentally did.
2: And I think, exactly. <laughs> but part of it is there was, I think, personally, I think we would all admit to this, there was a deprivation that we needed connection. We needed to to be, um, I mean, you've probably read, you know, statistics about pastors are some of the loneliest people yeah. on the planet. Um, and so we need fellowship desperately. And I think it's wise when we walk together. But, again, I think it goes back to, it's gotta be organic. It happened because I invited people to lunch to get to know them as a person, not to get them to be a part of a group. Yeah. Because those kind of groups happen all, they have, uh, they've got ministerial associations in every community under the planet. And some of them are super dry and some of them do a whole lot of good things. This is not a ministerial association. It's an organic group that just so happens to be pastors from different theological perspectives, different you know yeah. ethnicities. Um, but we all like each other. We're, we're, we're friends.
0: Yeah. I,
7: think, I, I think the same idea behind that
5: is if those, it, it, it's like black and white issues. If we don't, if women mm-hmm. don't know, if other pastors don't know
2: about what you're doing, mm-hmm. how can we all work together to mm-hmm. get Yeah. the other issues that we're trying to I solve? I agree. We all need to be a part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would also say before he does that, the goal was not to have a big banner that said we're gonna be some big pastor group. We just started hanging out, and as a result of that, we started doing stuff.
0: We actually recently talked about do we need to start limiting our numbers because we're getting too big to stay just friends. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
4: As the wife of one of them, I think it started out with them wanting friends. And pastors have a hard time being friends. Sorry, I'm short. Pastors have a hard time being friends with people because they're the pastor. And so by getting together with other men to be, you know, friends, and and I understand your point, but I think it's more of a they needed, you know, women need women friends, men need men friends. And I think it started more towards having some friends, somebody they can confide in. I know that I look at my husband and I'm like, you need a friend. Mm-hmm. If he tells me he's going to go hang out with somebody, I'm like, good. You need to yeah. go be with a friend. <laughs> yeah. You know, so because it's hard for, and I'm sure you know that as a pastor, it's hard to find friends. And it's hard to find, and I think that's how it started, really, yeah. was just 100 friends. Just, that's yeah. what we are still are. It wasn't yeah. anything about not wanting women around. No, they not just at all. Wanted some wanted some guy friends to yeah. hang out with. Yeah. And they just all happen to be-
2: pastors. It's not a He-Man Woman Haters Club. <coughs> no. It's just turned into
4: something yeah. bigger
3: now. I think. I, I'd, y'all are about I'd like to add something. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Jack, go ahead. Which uh, bears on a lot of what's been said tonight. Uh, after the book was published, I was invited back to Hopkinsville a couple of times, including uh, speaking at the Episcopal Church, where Pastor Nichols invited me. Um, And I also spoke to a very, very large group of students at Hopkinsville High, I think. There's a big auditorium and kids from, was it Hopkinsville? Maybe it was Christian County High School. At any rate, uh, kids from all the grades were there, black and white. Uh, They poured in and I was looking, they were poking at each other, talking to each other. There was no separation Mm -hmm. of black and white. And uh, they sat down. And one of the questions I asked them Uh, It was directed to the whole group, but I think they understood that it was mainly directed to the white students. And I said, how many of you would say that your attitudes about race in this country are are more open, uh, more liberal, uh, you can add the word you want, uh, more accepting than the attitudes of your parents or at least your grandparents? And the hands shot up all over the place. And uh, they said, yeah, they are. Uh, and I said, well, why, why is that? And they said, we know each other. Yeah. We have contact. And that seems to me what's missing in so much of Hopkinsville. Yeah. I mean, real contact. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Friendships, acquaintanceships, uh, something more than, oh, yeah, I know that guy over there. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, I know who he is. I know where he lives. Uh, and uh, something happens, though, to these kids after high school. Uh, they seem to be going their own way, uh, yeah. white, and black, separating, mm-hmm. uh, but at least they, they recognize the importance of contact in shaping uh, open attitudes. It's very hard mm-hmm. to maintain a stereotype when you see people who are so different from each other but of the same race. That's right. It's hard to sustain that notion, they're all like this, that's when right. you know individuals. That's and uh, right. and that's missing in much of the country. It's a good Yeah.
0: Point. Not just yeah. So. You, have, you have a question for us? Yeah, go ahead. I
6: have I have a question. That, the... Yeah. <laughs> um, so you said in like a previous episode that mixed people took up a 1%. What why do you think that is?
0: Oh, so that was in the the, the current makeup of the police force. Um, I don't know because somebody who's mixed joined the police. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I know I something so like you know for the guys who don't know this is this is one of my daughters here I know something that my kids have been dealing with wrestling with I know that you talk about that too with your kids too Richard Brandon your kids don't have this problem no. um but of of identifying am I going to identify mm-hmm. as black or mixed or what? And so I know that that's something that you guys have been been thinking through for yourselves um and I mean I think that's great you guys are thinking it through and not just taking my answer for it um yeah, I don't know what that, I have to meet that person to find out why they categorize themselves as mixed. Yeah. Well, uh, well,
6: why do you think there's so little of mixed people?
0: Um, on the police force? I'm not sure. Well, be- not
6: just in police in force, general? just in general.
0: In general? I, I think that you guys are a growing um, demographic. Yeah. Um, you all are a growing demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the reason why you're growing is because kind of what we've talked about amongst ourselves and, and home as well. Um, is that there is now space being made for you to be allowed to be called mixed. Um, we've talked about this, and I don't know if, you, if, if I've said this in an episode or not, but so genetically speaking, I'm 30% European DNA. We've got the DNA test done. Um, I'm, my kids are barely more white than me, and they're half white. Like, so it, it used to be that being mixed was still black. Um, that's just, this is a newer thing in the world that you can be mixed, supposedly. I, I tell my kids, I'm like, I don't... I don't know if that's the way it's going to actually play out. I mean, you guys are fighting for this, right? That's great. But the world as it stands now, when push comes to shove, they'll oftentimes just treat you like you're black. Um, That's the reality we still live in. Um, But maybe it's changing. Maybe it is. So this mixed demographic is a growing demographic because now you're allowed to be called that. Because technically speaking, you could say that that's me as well. I mean, when I have DNA from all over the planet, I'm mixed too, but identify as black um, because of how I grew up.
2: And I don't know if I like that term. I don't think, I don't know why, but it just doesn't sit well with me. I know a lot of people use that term, but I don't know why. I just don't.
0: How do your kids choose to self-identify?
2: I don't know if they do. Um, You know, I don't know. My wife is in the audience, and, I mean, we've got, you know, four girls, a boy. We've got teenagers um, just growing up everywhere. And, um, you know, we talk about differences and things like that, but when it comes to labels and things like that, we, we haven't addressed a lot of that because... I don't know, it's when you label somebody, you negate them as well, Um, so I don't know. We're still kind of schools out.
0: Yeah, I get that, yeah. Are you willing to speak into the microphone for us? Well, just so that the people listening later or watching later can hear you too.
1: (laughs) Thank you. One
8: one reason might be that it's probably not, not, I mean, evident to see or document it because like some would probably have a more darker complexion to where it's assumed that they're just all black. Mm-hmm. And then some may have that you can see it yeah. and you can automatically say, oh, they're mixed. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because even though that my skin color is this color, mm-hmm. I'm really probably tri-racial mm-hmm. because I, I know my <laughs> great grandmother who was white Mm-hmm. My great grandfather, who was Cherokee, documented, mm-hmm. and then my African American parents. Mm-hmm. So I tried to identify with all the races that I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I started going to the powwow back when they first started. When I learned that my great grandfather was a Cherokee, I want to learn about that side. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, already knew about my black side. Try to learn more about my white ancestors. So. It probably, it's not documented because you look at me, and probably wouldn't think yeah. mm-hmm. that my great-grandmother was yeah. white
0: mm.
8: or my great-grandfather was Cherokee. Right. But you can see that I'm black. Yeah. Mm. So, so I would think that that would be one of the reasons that it's not. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, that's good. That's true. Yeah. questions. Questions. No, yeah,
0: yeah, we can't, we can't hear you. Yeah, I, I, it, yeah. I guess if you say it loud enough, we'll repeat it to the microphone. Or you want to take the microphone to her, Caleb? Caleb's gonna, Caleb's gonna bring in the microphone.
2: You're gonna Van White the situation.
0: He's gonna, he's going he's gonna remedy the the, <laughs> the errors of my yeah, ways.
6: <laughs> now, I, I just wanted to say, I uh, started work with, in the school system in '77, and I retired in '2010, so I worked 33 years. Anyway, I worked in the office, and one of my problems was that in doing, uh, when I did registration uh, records, this child, you know, the mixed child, mm-hmm. they, I mean, it was automatically known or told me that put black on there. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if we put in, I think, because at that time, mm-hmm. I don't even think we were saying black. Yeah. So, I was told to put an in, you know, on the... Uh, the records that I had to send to the board. So it, it just bothered me a lot, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, that child, I mean, it's half white and half black. Mm-hmm. But they identified the child as black.
2: Yeah. They still do that today. I mean, yeah. Yeah. we have five.
6: See, that just, that just really bothered me. Yeah.
2: We have five yeah. biracial children, and there are still forms, especially in the medical industry, where you have to select one. And we're like, no. And uh, my wife and I, we talk about that a lot. They'll say, well, you need to check, well, your, your child's not white, so you need to check that your child's black." Well, he's not. I mean, he, they're not. They're half this and half that. Uh, that's, that's negating one and not the other. So a lot of times, you know, at least for me, I create my own box. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you guys talk about me being being crazy. So what do, what do you check, Brandon? I, can you guess?
1: Can you guess and just save me? No. Uh, yeah, so I was really excited to take a DNA test because I just assumed, like, you know, there's going to be this broad swath of, uh, <laughs> you know, background, and there is not. Uh, you, can, you can pretty much, I think, nail my genetic tree to the British Isles and just call it good, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's like, oh, what do I check? Well, I'm white. Yeah. Right? But, but it so makes you, it a little bit easier. I don't have to do as much writing as Richard does. Just, just to
0: just to just to hone in on you a little bit before we get another question here. Do do you ever do you ever regret that you have to say that you're white and not British? Like, do you mm. do you mourn the loss of that cultural heritage? Yeah. Nah, we fought a
1: war and kind of settled that <laughs> thing, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't. It's it's never been a part of my identity. I will say a key part of my identity is identifying as somebody who's from the West.
0: Yeah. You know, mm-hmm.
1: I, I'm proud to be from Idaho. I'm, I celebrate the fact that I was born in Oregon. Yeah. Um. So I do describe myself as somebody who's from the Northwest. So okay. do you
2: feel like you have an ethnicity? White? Do you feel
1: your whiteness? Like well, yeah, because I have to check it on the form all the time, okay. man. <laughs>
2: no but i mean like but no it does not
1: shape my experience day by day to the extent that say naraya would have to deal with or that mm-hmm. your kids would have to deal with uh, or that you and kamar have to deal with no it doesn't it doesn't shape my experience that way um, a conversation between between the episodes uh, you know things you got to teach young yeah. black men that i've never thought about teaching my son yeah. and it's kind of one of those eye opening moments hmm. Yeah,
9: go ahead. Uh, the older that I, be- Jack, how are you doing? Uh, the older <laughs> that I become, the the, the the characteristic of courage is becoming more and more important to me. And I say that because Jack, you kind of led the forefront on this 20 years ago when you came to Hopkinsville by yourself, not known anyone, and really started digging into some issues that our community just didn't want to talk about. Uh, they were ignored. And then at the same time, you know, you three guys have just done this remarkable job of, of asking tough questions in a humorous way that need to be asked. And I think it's ironic, maybe, that all four of you are not from Hopkinsville. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's something to that. Yeah. And uh, so I, I want to thank you uh, for me and probably the community as well for, for kind of loading that up a little bit. And then here's my question. Um, I, I know you're probably all familiar with Bell Hooks mm-hmm. uh, from Hopkinsville. And do you think that the culture and everything that y'all have discussed and Jack, what you've seen, how did that in, in uh, I think she taught at Oberlin, didn't she, Jack? Am I right on that? Yeah, she did. She yeah. Did. But okay. h- h- how did this culture of Hopkinsville impact the significance of what Bell Hooks went on to do?
0: Um, let's see. I'll, let's go first. Yeah.
9: One of you guys.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, just reading through Bone Black uh, and reading her experiences, especially uh, during, uh, you know, desegregation, I think it shaped her a lot. I mean, her experience, I know there's a, I think there's a paragraph in the book, uh, in in Jack's book, but definitely in Bone Black that talks about, it's almost like a, a, a tearing away from what was comfortable what was familiar and then being extricated out of that all black um attic school or the idea of being a part of that and then going to an all-white school i think it was trauma um i I think it was a lot of trauma to to be completely familiar i'm sorry yeah well was it trauma Oh, yeah, come, on come, come on! Come on up, up and talk come on about, on about the trauma. Go ahead. I'm talking That's about it. what you experienced, <laughs> and you're right here, and you yeah. can tell us you, what you, you tell us.
10: I grew up in the '60s, and I was in the second, first grade, I think, second grade, third. What I can't remember, but Lafayette School was an all-white school, and what they did was they built South Christian. And they sent all of the white kids to South Christian. And then they gave all the black kids that lived in, in, in PD Herndon, Merchstown, Newstead, all of that. We lived in the country. They went to Lafed And mm-hmm. now can you imagine? Now they're they trying to consolidate the school now, and it's the same thing. hmm the people in Lafayette did not want to give up their school to some black people. And they didn't want to send their kids to the new South Christian school. Mm -hmm. And we were just little and caught in the middle when we ride our school buses. The school bus would come to Lafayette and you would see a a rope hanging in a tree. Or you would see uh, the the rope was burning in a tree. And uh, they shot at they shot at our school bus and can you imagine how your mom how my mama would would be feeling knowing that they gotta send us to school my mother had ten children two sets of twins which is right there now Mm -hmm. and Shirley is next to me and I'm number six and my mother and my daddy worked all their life. We, I never, never did see a day that I would just be uh, laying in the bed, and my daddy was laying in the bed too all day. He worked all the time. All the time. And when we moved, so we moved... This is this is crazy. I don't want to take up too much time. But we moved from, from the country at, at a country boy store down by PD, if y'all know where that is. We lived on a sharecroppers farm, on Greenwood Farm. And we moved to Hopkinsville. And Bertha Slaughter came and asked my mother, who she was a, a homeowner. She owned homes. But she, she sold homes to black poor people. She asked my mother, she said... Uh, Would you like to uh, move in a house? My mother said, yeah. She said, how much money do you have? My mother said, all all I got is $7. She said, well, I'm going to take that and I'm going to remodel this house, which my sister's in right now. And she said, I'm going to move y'all to Hopkinsville. Mm -hmm. 1966. We moved from there to here and we had white friends in the country, uh, Steve Tribble and uh, Sherry, <laughs> Sherry, Shelley Erwin, those were our friends, they were white, but they was our friends. But when we got to Hopkinsville and moved on the West Side, my Lord Jesus, we had to go to West Side School, it was all white. Mm-hmm. And we had to walk to school and we were called nigga, 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 until we got to school. And nigga, 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 till we got back. And look, my mother would stand out there and watch us go to school and watch us come back. We grew up in that era. That's where we come. We we had white friends, and we love them to this day. We 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 love them to this day. But when we got here to Hopkinsville, Kentucky, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, honey, they, Hopkinsville, Kentucky turned up. Did it? Did it do it? It turned us something else, and and but but I am not a prejudiced person. I can talk to an Indian, uh, uh, Native American. Native, I, mean, I can talk to a Native American. Uh, I can just like I'm talking to yeah. my sister right now. I don't see no color, but I saw color when I come to Hopkinsville, Kentucky.
4: Oh man!
8: What I wanted to share also the experience for being at an all-black school because you were with familiar colored faces, yeah. mm-hmm. and people that you grew up with. Even in Newstead, where we lived, going to Country Boy store, I didn't recognize that I was black. Mm-hmm. And I shared that with Steve Tribble's wife, Shelly, Sh- who we grew up with, at uh, Miss Partain's funeral that I didn't know I was black till mm-hmm. I moved to Hopkinsville, mm-hmm. and started to go to Westside Elementary School, where the teacher there, I could call her name, I knew the answers would hold my hand up. She mm. never would call on me. Yeah. Mm. And I'd hold up this hand, not call on me. So go to school every day, not be recognized, uh, not given a snack, not given mm. anything. Go out to recess, and you stand in line, the long line to jump your turn. They lay the ropes down. Mm. And if they talked to you and the parents found out about it, they couldn't talk to you the next day. Yeah. Mm. So then it was four of us, we called ourselves the misfits. I was black, two of them were heavyset, the other one wore thick glasses, and I was the only black. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only one living. We mm-hmm. stayed friends from elementary school until you know, they passed away. But we were the misfits because nobody would play with us mm-hmm. because we looked different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the things that probably shaped bell hooks, writing, were the experiences of those that we had. Mm-hmm. in elementary school because, mm-hmm. you know, even with the teachers who were the adults that you think cared or if you sit there and they have a cake and you sit there and wait for your slice and you don't get it but you get all the crumbs and the ice and wrecked in your plate. Mm-hmm. So those were some of the things that I experienced in elementary school mm-hmm. at Westside, yeah. but it didn't shape me. Right. And when I became a teacher, I made sure Amen. that I didn't do any of those things. Good, good, thank you. <laughs> I understood thank you. Thank you. the importance yeah. of treating all children the same. That's
7: right.
3: I
0: think
2: that yeah. will help you understand. Yes, it. ma'am, thank I, you guys would, so much. I would say
0: with the, with the one, I've only, I've, I've listened to a couple of her books so far, and the one that really stuck with me that ties in what you're talking about, about the experience here, um, is where she's really addressing the issue of masculinity. And and how do we resolve the issue of masculinity in in the world, and and I was really moved because she has a very she has a very Christian worldview. I mean, it's it's very much so. This is a a Christian ethic. She also was feminist too, yes. But it, but what does this mean for this to be complete as a man? Um, and I, I think that what came through was that she saw a lot of the things that her father dealt with and took out on her. And she talks about some of these things. I even had some conversations with some of my daughters about what she said about like. Hating her dad and wishing him dead. And I actually paused. Like That's why I asked, asked that question to Raya. And I'm like, hey, do you guys ever want me dead? Like Because she talked about this. But she was talking about in the context of realizing that she grew up in a world where there was so much evil happening all around. And there was no safe outlet for the man in the home. And then she didn't just sit there and say, this is going to only be about a black thing or about a Hopkinsville thing. She said, and I see this multiplied all throughout the world. And so she didn't let it insulate her and say, I'm going to only talk about my experience. She really used that, from what I could see anyways, to, to see how her experience was really similar to so many other people, because many people are hurt. Many people are broken down and, and abused and, and in these systems of oppression, as it were. And she said, how can I use my experience to, to see through that and give them a light of a way to get out of that? And that's what, that's what I'm getting from her so far with, with her writings I've, I've read. Yeah. What do you have, Q? Go ahead. You got. You got. You got. You got to talk to the microphone. She can't reach it. Hold, hold her up, Norai. Hold her up to the microphone. <laughs> just, just pick her up.
6: <laughs> if you are black and you're married to a white person, um, does that make you um brown?
7: <laughs>
0: I would say, I, I would say um, um, no. That's another one of my kids. I no, I, I think
2: it make you a member of how <laughs> <Yes.
0: laughs> that that, that club <laughs> we have. Um, no, no, it does not make you brown. Um, but it is interesting. So we watched a, a thing. You said you watched the episode as well of talking about how the history of how they used to view um, the mixing of races mm-hmm. and how evil and sinful that was seen as being. Yeah. Um, and I think that's another one of those good things, Naraya, to Your question that's, that's that I've been enjoying. When my wife and I were start, first started dating, even in California, it was rare. Mm-hmm. Um, we, were, we were not a common thing to see. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, you know what? Like you said before, Jack, you see it on TV even. Like, I have cartoon shows we watch as a family because it's like, hey, the husband's black and the mom's white. We're mm-hmm. watching the show. Like, we have TV shows now. I mean, so, like, that's... You made that's, it big time. Things are changing. Unfortunately, I do... I mean, we don't have to stop spending time talking, but I am going to bring this episode to an end just because we're at that, that time. So if anybody wanted to hang out and still talk some more, we can, Jack. You can feel free to hang out or leave. It's It's your... your freedom to choose. Um, What I do wanna just, um, in closing real quick, say again, thank you, not just to my friends, but to everybody who has been involved with this, for you guys coming out and and sharing. Um, And again, um, thank you for my friends who didn't love me enough to show up tonight. No, they're still my friends. Um, It it really is, it's great having friends. Like my my wife said, it is true, that uh, I have a tendency to live life alone. And it is it's nice probably because you talk
2: bad about them when they're not here,
0: you know, Hey, but it is nice having friends. It is nice having friends, friends who I can argue with, I can disagree with, but who will also go through these hard times together. Ha, I p- got a ha. pun in, I got a p- point for me, point for me. All right. So that's, that's it for this episode. But again, um, we are not finishing the conversation. We're going to have this conversation as a community moving forward. All right. Thank you. Well, here we are. Uh, Last episode, um, as we close this out, I just wanna, before we leave, say say thank you. Um, first of all, to my friends, Richard and Brandon, thank you guys both for being willing to do this with me, for engaging and having these conversations um, and being willing to sit down and record them with me and, and, and to just talk these things through. Um, I know that there have been times you guys have had to have other conversations um, with people in, in your life because of what we talked about. And so thank you for being willing to do this with me, for for going on this journey with me. Also thank you to Jack Lazor, not just for writing a book that has really impacted our lives and helped us to see more clearly how to do our jobs as pastors in this community, as as men, as Christians, but also thank you for being willing to sit down with us yourself um, to talk more uh, about this important work and also for not suing us. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you to our wives, our families, for um, putting up with us, um, putting up with us, needing a schedule to sit down and record, but also putting up with us talking, because these conversations, I'll tell you, this may be the last episode, um, at least as far as we know, last episode. But we're going to have these conversations anyways. These conversations, they continue. We talk. We get together and we talk. And thank you, wives, because so often we would talk, um, and we would get together, and when the conversations would continue, we sat and recorded something earlier in the day, and now we're talking more. Or, or we had a, an episode that goes out, and people want to talk to us when we're out and about. So thank you to our wives for being gracious and kind and supportive of us as we went on this journey. Um, also thank you to you, our, our fans, the the people who've listened and supported, you who, who've commented, who've shared, who've told other people to listen. Um, you're you're really why we did this. Uh, Richard, Brandon, and I, we, we've been talking about these things before we sat down and recorded them, and we've been talking since we finished recording, and we're going to keep talking. That's what we do. I mean, we're pastors. We talk. That's what we do. Um, but we sat and recorded these conversations because we realized that there are people out there who said that they would really benefit from understanding how do we deal with this because these questions of, of race and culture and community and history and, and interaction and, and strife and sin, they, they're hard. These are hard questions. Um and some people were saying, I, I want to know, how do you guys deal with this as pastors, as, as men, as, as both black and white, as, as husbands and fathers and, and children? What what, what do you, How do you deal with this? And so hopefully, prayerfully, this podcast has helped somebody out there to understand just how we approach this as, as Christians, as pastors, as just human beings. Maybe they've helped you to have some conversations too, hard conversations at times, sure, but important conversations to talk about just the reality of the complexities of our lives. At the end of the day, we, all three of us, we believe that our, our faith is not meant to be lived in a bubble. It's not meant to be kept in a box. It is going to impact everything about our lives. And this podcast has just been about sitting down and recording portions of our conversations as friends. As we say, God, what does it mean for us to be the men you made us to be in this community, in this time, in this world, with these sins and, and, and traumas and, and complications and confusions that go on all around us? And so I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Maybe we'll come back and do another podcast again. Maybe not. But either way, it is our prayer, our hope, and our desire that this small offering that we give you of our conversations will help you to engage with the material, to think seriously about the history of this place, the the, the story of people interacting, and just how do we live in a way that recognizes human beings as the image bearers of God, that glorifies God as we live in community in this world, a way to move forward in love. Thank you. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of any institution, organization, or corporation. The material and information presented here are for general information purposes only. All persons who participated did so of their own free will and speak for themselves only, regardless of any personal affiliations they may possess. Been pastoring through some hard times is a production of Salt Light Love Ministries, all rights reserved.